Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. All right, so let's go to the scripture. Uh, we're in Ephesians 5, and don't worry, I've not forgot about the music. We're going to do the music here in just a second. And by the way, get ready, you're in for a great ride this morning. But I've become enamored with Ephesians, particularly Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. And I've, I've read Ephesians dozens of times over the years, uh, but, but I've never picked up on this fact that starting in Ephesians 4, chapter 1, Paul gives five commands, here's how you are to walk. First of all, I like that because walking is a metaphor for living. We're not called to sit. We're not called to be spectators. We're called to be active. But we're also not called to run and to live so fast that we're not paying attention to who or what is happening around us. We are to walk. We are to move at the speed of the Spirit. And so Paul gives five commands in the latter half of Ephesians. First of all, he says, walk in unity. As followers of Jesus, we need to walk in unity. If a lion fights a tiger, the lion will win every time. But if five tigers fight five lions, wouldn't that be a great video on Netflix? If that happens, the tigers will win because tigers know how to fight as a team and lions only know how to fight solo. Listen, the world is, is so embattled right now, you can't go it alone. You'll lose every time. We've got to have the unity of followers of Jesus, okay? So, we are to walk in unity. We are to walk in a new identity. And Paul uses a language in Ephesians, it's baptismal language. Take off the old self and put on Christ. In the early church, men and women were baptized separately because as they approached the baptismal waters, they would take off all their clothes. They would be baptized naked. And then as they came up, the church would give them a new set of clothes representing putting on the new identity of Christ. Jesus is meant to be the defining relationship of our lives. That's what it means to be a Christian. So we're to walk in, um, in unity. We are to walk in a new identity. We are to walk in love. We are to walk in light. In other words, we're not to walk in indifference or in darkness. And then here's the last command. Walk in wisdom. This is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Therefore, be very careful how you live. Literally, in the Greek, it's be very careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. We are called to skillful living. Make the most of every opportunity because the world and the days are just evil. Don't let that evil get inside of you. Therefore, don't be foolish. Don't be vague. Understand what God's will is. You know, we talk about God's will. We, we need to understand what is God's will for me right here, right now. Don't be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't be under the influence of anything else but the Spirit of God. And then it says this. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and beetle songs. <laughs> Sing and make music in your hearts. On it goes. So we are, called, we are called to walk wisely, to live wisely. If that is the case, then wisdom is best seen in our relationships with one another. And of all the relationships that are most important, it's the marriage relationship. So now here's where we come to our song for today. 
Song for today is the Beatles song, Hey Jude, which by the way, according to Billboard charts, is the number one song of the 1960s. This, this song is more recorded, more requested than any other song in that entire decade, and it's a song about marriage, or actually it's more of a song about divorce. So when uh, John Lennon was divorcing his wife, Cynthia, he left her for Yoko Ono. Why is one of the mysteries of the universe, all right? but he was throwing away his entire family. And so Paul, on the way over to visit Cynthia and their young son, Julian, began to formulate this song in his head. And originally it was Hey Jules, but it became eventually Hey Jude. And it's a song about the marriage relationship. So let me say a couple more things as we jump into this song. I understand some of you in this room are not married today. And sometimes our blood pressure goes up. Oh, we're great, we're talking about marriage again. This is your opportunity to be unselfish today <laughs> because there are a lot of single folks in the room, but there's also a lot of married folks in the room who need to hear this. Also, just by happenstance, today happens to be my 29th wedding anniversary. So would you appreciate Paula for putting up with me for 29 years? Yeah, she deserves more than that. But it is interesting, and this just gives you a glimpse of this many years of marriage. Um, the traditional gift for 29 years, and this goes all the way back to the Middle Ages, traditional gift for 29 years of marriage is a Roomba vacuum cleaner. <laughs> Nailed it. That's all I'm going to say. All right. So would you listen, would you lean into this song about marriage, about divorce, about living wisely when it comes to our relationship? and uh, get ready to sing along. Yeah. 
So I wish you could have seen my vantage point. First of all, there are a few people in the balconies, Raiders, I saw you, started waving their hands like this. And then the cell phone lights started coming out. What is wrong with you people? This is, this is the kind of church that I really enjoy. And by the way, that's Mike Wilson. Would you all appreciate Mike? And uh, And Mike's actually a granddad, but you're never too old for your mom to be recording you from the balcony. So I'm very proud of you, Judy. Never too old, never too old. All right. So this is a song about relationships. It's a song about divorce and, and marriage. So here's what we're going to do is we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 33. And this is always a passage, even after the first service, some people said, boy, I, when we're coming to this passage, I wasn't sure where you're going to go with this because this makes people nervous. But I want you to just follow along. We're going we're gonna to try to understand what the Scripture is saying, and, and I'm going to try to stay away from my own opinions on this, right? We should just listen to what, what Paul is saying through the Holy Spirit. But I want to begin with the end, because it's important to understand the context here. So if you go down to verse 32, it's toward the end of that passage. This is a profound mystery. As we're talking about marriage, listen. It's a mystery. I don't care how long you've been married. Do you have marriage figured out yet? If you say yes, your spouse is in serious trouble, all right? It's a mystery. Mystery means that we have more questions than we do answers. So, C.S. Lewis, let me refer to another British man. C.S. Lewis uh, writes a little article. It's called Lunch at the Vicar's House. And a vicar is an Anglican term for pastor. And so he's invited to church on this particular Sunday morning at a church, and the pastor is talking about marriage, and probably he's talking from Ephesians 5. And the vicar talks all this flowery language about how home is a haven and how it's a beautiful place. But then C.S. Lewis is invited to go to lunch with the vicar after church to his home. And he said what he was talking about in church was not at all what I experienced at his home. His wife was angry. His children were bitter and cold. And so he writes this little article to say, look at these two different worlds. And what C.S. Lewis said is absolutely profound. This article is worth reading in its entirety. He says, the pastor, the vicar, was not a hypocrite. The pastor was a fool. Because while his home was dysfunctional, and by the way, most of ours are on one level or another, he was a fool because he wasn't honest about it. So what he should have done is he should have said, instead of providing this flowery picture, he should have said, marriage and family is difficult work. He should have just been honest. So can I have your permission this morning for a few minutes just to be honest? Yeah, let me ask that again. Do I have your permission just to be honest? Yeah, yeah. So here's the deal. Marriage has always been hard, but maybe it doesn't have to be as difficult as we have made it. Maybe it really is easier in some ways than what we can imagine. Now, I, I want to go back to the C.S. Lewis uh, uh, article one more time because he says something at the very end that is excellent. He said, the home should be a means of grace. It's a way that God blesses us. But the home needs to be also a place of rules. If you don't have rules, if you don't have boundaries in your home, then, here's what he says, you will be tyrannized by the most selfish member in your house. I find that to be true. It may be your spouse, maybe your kids. Unless your home is a place of rules, it cannot be a means of grace. And so Paul says this is a mystery. We're going to talk about some rules here in just a minute. 
But he's not just talking about marriage. He's talking about Christ and the church. However, each one must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Wives, I want you to listen to me very carefully. We're going to come to your paragraph here in just a moment. What your husband needs more than anything else in the world is your respect. Your husband needs to know that you respect him. Well, didn't Aretha Franklin sing R-E-S-P-E-C-T, right? You know what? That was actually written by a man, Otis Redding. It was a call. Men have this need. And you say, well, that sounds really ego-driven. Yeah, maybe. But your job is not to destroy the ego of your husband. Your job is to feed your spouse's spirit. And you let God deal with his ego. Husbands, listen to me. What your wife needs more than anything else is to know that she is loved. I'm not being sexist. This is just the way God has wired us, that husbands need respect and wives need to know that they're loved. So with that in mind, verse 21, let's take it from the top, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this idea of mutual submission in marriage, it's that idea of I'm going to give my spouse what they need. I'm going to give my husband the respect that he needs. I'm going to give my wife the love that she needs. We're going to give. We're going to see who can outgive one another. So before we jump into the paragraph to the wives, let me say one more word of preparation. Husbands, don't sit here and go, boy, my wife really needs to hear this today. Okay. Or wives, don't sit here and go, boy, my husband, I'm glad he's here today because he really needed to hear this. You are not going to fix your spouse. The only person you can control, and even then we don't do a great job at it, is yourself. So you listen to what God is saying to you, and you let God work on your spouse today. Okay? So wives, submit to your husbands. Submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should also submit to their husbands in everything. So this word submit is a trigger word for a lot of people. I get it. But here's here's what God is calling wives to do. Surrender yourself to your husband. Serve your husband. And you may be married on paper, but you've never surrendered yourself to your husband. Now, it says, surrender to your husband as the church does to Christ. How does the church surrender to Christ? Well, we surrender to Christ because he is good. We surrender to Christ because we trust him. And we surrender to Christ because ultimately we believe that Christ answers to God. So wives, the same thing applies to your husband. Surrender to your husband because he's a good-willed man. And by the way, if he's not, pray that God would work on him to make him a good-willed man. Surrender yourself to your husband because you trust him. And if you don't trust him, pray to God that he would be trustworthy. And surrender to your husband because you know whether he knows it or not, you know whether he acknowledges it or not, one day he will answer to God for his life and how he treated 
your marriage and how he treated you. So we surrender to that based on goodness, trust, and that he answers to God, okay? So let me talk about what these verses do not condone. These verses do not condone physical or emotional abuse. Let me state that very clearly. These verses do not suggest and do not sanction that it's okay for a husband to abuse physically, mentally, verbally his wife. That is not the kind of submission that we're talking about here. Also, these verses do not say, wives, that you can't disagree with your husbands. I expected a few women to say amen at that point. I don't know why, I just expected it. So my wife and I, uh, we, we made it a practice while our kids were growing up to disagree in front of our kids. Because I've had couples come to me, premarital counseling, and go, I never saw my parents argue, and I thought you were in for a wild ride. Because you haven't had a role model on how to disagree with your spouse. So early on in our marriage, about our first year, this is a, a good piece of counsel for those of you early in your marriage. When you disagree, and you will, after you finish the disagreement, come back and say, well, how did we do? And lay some ground rules on what is permissible and not permissible in an argument. So my wife and I, it's pretty simple. We don't yell at each other. We don't walk out of the room. And we don't call each other names. Pretty simple rules, right? And so after an argument, we would evaluate one another, which would ultimately lead to another argument. But <laughs> over the course of years, we kind of worked this out so that we were so comfortable we would disagree in front of our kids. And our kids reacted differently to this. Seth, our youngest, it would stress him out. Mom and Dad, y'all are stressing me out. I can't eat because y'all are arguing. I say, son, we love each other. We can disagree without disliking someone. And if your mom wants to be wrong, so be it. I mean, she can be that way if she wants to. Now, that was our son. My daughter would put on her little green bookie visor, and she would start taking bets from the other two as to who was going to win the argument, you know. But hopefully that a model over the years of what it means to disagree. It's okay to disagree in marriage because what you're doing is you're helping form your marriage and you're helping form Christ in one another as you submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And kind of the, the guideline on this is whoever the smartest person in the room is on an issue, that's the one you need to submit to. My wife is a genius financially, and so I submit to her when it comes to finances. She, she has a better grasp on it than I do. Why would I not listen to the smartest person in the room? When it comes to home improvements, I can visualize it. She can't. She submits to me in that regard. And so we play off each other's strengths, and I think that will be unique to every marriage. So, wives... Surrender yourself to your husband. Here's what that means. And you gave me permission to be honest. Here it is. Don't compare your husband to other men. If you ever go into somebody's house and you go, why can't we have a house like theirs? You will crush the spirit of your husband. I'm not telling you it's right and wrong. I'm just telling you that's, that's what's going to happen. You will crush his spirit. You will break his ego. If you say, well, so-and-so's husband does this for her, it will damage your spouse's spirit. Don't compare. Also, I would encourage you, don't complain, especially if a man works all day and he comes home and nothing's right in the world and nothing's right about him or 
It just sucks the life out of a man if you're consistently and consistently complaining. And then don't compare, don't complain. This last one's a little tricky. Don't consume. And what I mean is this, and a lot of middle-aged men feel this. They're out, and I realize there's a lot of dual incomes. There's a lot of families that women make more than the men. I get all that, but I'm just speaking in general. Sometimes a man feels this pressure to produce for his family, and there are times, especially in middle age, where a man just feels like a meal ticket. That every penny that's earned is spent and then some. And there's this stress of too much weight, and that's why a lot of guys just give up. What I'm saying to you women is this. Don't destroy the spirit of your spouse. Surrender. Trust that God has put you at the right man to develop Christ in you and surrender yourself to being fully married to him and to learn contentment. So now men, now if you'll notice verses 22, 23, 24, it's kind of a short paragraph for wives. Notice the big long paragraph that starts in verse 25. Yeah, guys need a little more coaching, right? Maybe we're a little slower on the uptake, but also Paul was writing to a culture that women by and large were already doing this. It's men who had to learn how to change. And here's the challenge, men. Don't demand respect. Be deserving of respect. And here's how you deserve respect from your spouse. Here's how you deserve respect for your, from your wife. Sacrifice for her. A woman is called to surrender. A man is called to sacrifice. And of the two, I think that's the big ask. That's the one. Men, the success and failure of your marriage, and there's a lot of variables I understand, but ultimately, in most cases, it comes down to you. That is a responsibility on your shoulders. Now, there are exceptions to that. I've known men who have gone above and beyond in an unbelievable way to save their marriage, and if two parties aren't involved, it's not going to work. But by and large, men, this is a responsibility God has given us, and it starts and ends with sacrifice. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. There it is, sacrifice, and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church. Christ wants to produce a pure people. Husbands, do you bring out the best in your wife? Do you bring out the best in your wife? My, two of my kids are married. As I was sizing them up, as they were coming into our family, I liked both of them, but I liked even more who my kids were around them. I wish I had known that when I was getting married. I wouldn't have changed my decision about who to marry, but I wish I had understood that a little more clearly. My job is to make my wife the best version of herself, and that's done by sacrifice. To present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle, any other blemish but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. So husbands, you need to bring out the best in your wife. You also need to protect your wife. Your wife needs to know that she is safe and secure when she is with you. Do a lot of weddings right here. Always, always, always the man stands on this side. The bride stands over here. So from the perspective of the altar, the man stands on the right. 
You know why? Because in the medieval world where brides were often stolen, which is the purpose of all the bridegrooms, they were to protect the bride, but also the groom himself would, if he needed to, be able to reach for his sword and defend his bride. So I think we've got to bring back this custom. When you get married, men should carry a sword. Don't, that, don't you think that would be elegant? And I'll carry daggers in my back pocket like this. But the man needed to have his arm free at a moment's notice to protect his wife. Men, protect your wife, just like your own body. If somebody's about to poke you in the eye, your whole body will turn to protect your eye. Your whole being should protect your wife no matter what. Part of sacrificing is making sure she's the best version of herself, protecting her. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but feed and cares for it just as Christ does the church. We are all members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will be one flesh. The goal of Christian marriage is not happiness. The goal of Christian marriage is oneness. And when two people begin to forge a singular identity, you don't have to look for happiness. Happiness will find you. That's the goal of marriage is oneness. So let me say a couple things on this, Mark. Men, talking about sacrifice. If you and your wife are in conflict right now, it is up to you to make the first move of reconciliation. I don't care who you think is right or who you think is wrong. In fact, there's biblical precedence for this in Matthew 5 and Matthew 18. If there's conflict, who makes the first move? And it's, yes, I make the first move always. Husbands, if you and your spouse are in conflict, it is up to you to make the first move. It's called sacrifice. The other thing, and I don't know if you noticed this, do you notice that women use more words than men? Have you ever noticed that before? I don't know. Surprised me when I read it. I don't, yeah. One of the biggest sacrifices I can make to my wife is to know that I'm listening to everything that she says. In fact, our, our date morning is on Friday morning. We go out to breakfast together. And, you know, there are weeks that I'm just kind of worn down. And I, I tell her, I've got nothing left in the tank. I'm on empty. And by the way, women, you need to understand, sometimes a guy, his tank is on empty. Men, what we need to do is discipline ourselves to make sure that we go home every day with something left in the tank. It's okay to go home on empty, just not every day, okay? So I've had to discipline myself to leave a little in the tank for the person who is most important in my life. But on some Fridays, I got nothing left. So we go out for breakfast, and I'll say something like this to my wife. I say, listen, I don't have a lot of words today, but I will listen to every single word that you say. And typically what happens after I take the pressure off of having to talk, that's when I want to talk, right? But it starts with giving her this sacrifice of listening to every single thing. And so, Paul, we come back full circle. This is a mystery, a profound mystery, talking about Christ and the church. But each woman ought to respect her husband, and each man ought to love his wife. So as Dietrich Bonhoeffer he was doing a, a wedding before his imprisonment by the Nazis. And he was talking to this young couple. I'm going to read this so I don't mess this up. He said, today you are young and very much in love. And you think your love will sustain your marriage. It can't. Let your marriage sustain your love. Let me read that again. And I had to read this a few times and kind of wrap my mind around this. 
Today you're young and very much in love and you think that your love can sustain your marriage. It can't. Let your marriage sustain your love. So instead of you trying to manufacture love and that continue your marriage, what you do is women surrender to your husband. Wives or, or husbands, love your wives. That love and respect as we do marriage God's way, that's marriage. It will feed our love. So a couple of weeks ago, I, I blew out a disc in my back. I could barely move. Um, my wife took me to a doctor to get an MRI, and it was so bad, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't even undress myself to get into that skimpy little gown that they give you at the doctor's office, right? And so I was tr getting undressed. She was helping me and had to take off my ring and my glasses and all that to go in for the MRI. Get done. I come back out. My wife is having to help me redress. It's rather humbling and humiliating. But she helps me get my glasses back on, and she takes my ring, and she moves herself right in front of me. She takes my hand, and she puts my ring on, and she holds it in place. And she says, you've got six months until I put you down. <laughs> she did not say that. I did get her permission for me to say that she said that. I'm, I'm smart enough now, right? It was a real moment. She put it on, on my finger. I knew exactly what was happening. We kissed each other. It was just that, it's that deal of in good times and bad times, for better or for worse, right? That's, that's what marriage is. Listen, marriage has never been easy, but it also doesn't have to be that hard. Women, respect your husbands. Husbands, love your wife. Surrender to one another. Sacrifice one another. And I promise you, God will bless your marriage. So here's a walkaway application and a way I'm going to ask you to act on this here in just a moment. When couples come to me and they're facing a tough time, I do the same thing. And I'm not a marriage counselor, but I'll take out a piece of paper and, and just think of your relationship with your spouse like a bank account. You always want to have a lot of deposits in there, but sometimes you make these withdrawals and then something catastrophic happens and you're, you're overdrawn. And what I tell each spouse is you need to start making deposits into that other person's account because the wife may want to respect her husband, but her love tank is so empty she's got nothing to give. The husband may want to love the wife, but he's been disrespected. He's got nothing left to give. So you each need to start making deposits into each other's accounts. And I look at the woman first, and I say, what is three things your husband needs to do to make you feel loved? And sometimes they're very simple. These are usually not heroic things. One that I see most consistently is, would you just come home on time and act like you like being at home? That's one. And then I'll, I'll go to the guy and say, is there three ways that your wife can let you know that she respects you and detail those out? Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to leave my office and start living these things. Start showing your wife you love her. Start showing your husband you respect him. Start filling up each other's tanks. What has happened over 23 years is two things. A couple will never come back to me because they just won't do it. And one of them's done, right? Another reason they never come back to me is they do it. And they start rebuilding love and respect 
as the foundation, and they build on those things. So this is just about saving me time this week for a lot of, pre, a lot of marital counseling, right? You can do this over lunch, and you can say we're going to start serving and sacrificing for one another. So I want to give you that moment like we had in the MRI room. Here in a moment, we're going to sing. We're going to worship together. We're not going to open up the follow-up room right now. But if you're standing with your spouse, and you know what? Your marriage may be in a good place, and today is just a good reminder of some things. It could be that maybe your marriage has just kind of gotten dull over the years. It could be that you're in a really bad place. Would you take just a moment and reach down and grab your spouse's hand and just tap each other on the ring? Again, if you're not married, this won't be for you. I'm asking you to be selfless in this regard today, but maybe you would take time to pray for other marriages that are important to you. Just, just tap each other on the ring as a reminder of, I want to serve you. I want to sacrifice for you. Now, I'm looking out, and I see there's a lot of kids sitting between your parents. So kids, get out of the way because they're about to make out big time right now. <laughs> You think that wouldn't happen at a church, but it has. It has. Don't do that. Just, just tap each other on the rings. Don't go any further than that. But that's just something. Because years ago, you made a commitment to God and to your spouse till death do us part. You're reaffirming that today in a very secret, hidden way, but something that means a great deal to you. Love and respect can start right now. Would you stand with me? Let's pray together. So God, I believe that's true, that, that marriage has never been easy, but it also doesn't have to be this hard. Would we just take on wives to take on that mantle of respecting their husbands and ask him what, what it takes for him to feel respected, for husbands to love their wives and to ask her what it means for her to be, feel loved and to be loved. Would you help us to submit to one another, not because it's within our power to naturally do that, but help us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ and help us to live and to be married wisely. Jesus, it is in your name that we offer our prayer and that we offer these little taps on the ring. We offer that in Jesus' name. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. And may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.